opiates, morphine, fentanyl. What's interesting about these, um, there's a great review article in 2018 talking about how opioids, particularly morphine and fentanyl, suppress the immune system. Now, why is that important as it relates to cancer? Well, if you suppress the immune system, particularly we understand the mechanisms of how it does this, it suppresses natural killer cells. That is very, very advantageous to the cancer. So if you suppress natural killer cells, it's like suppressing your army. You do that in the body where cancer exists, that cancer is going to evade the army and it's going to spread. Welcome to the Practicing with Dr. Nathan Goodyear podcast. This podcast is your resource for a scientific-based discussion of all things cancer and beyond from a natural, holistic, and integrative perspective. It's time to teach the body how to heal. So here we go. I want to talk about a controversial topic today. A lot of people will not use the phrase that I'm going to use because I think they're scared to. They'll use words like hemp, CBD. But honestly, what we're talking about is medical cannabis. And I think that people are afraid of this phrase and afraid of, of this therapy because of bias, of misconceptions of what it actually is. And I think the problem with this is when you talk about medical cannabis, everybody's thinking of cannabis and it's thinking over the last 50 years of the DEA, regulatory bodies, and how they've been perceived and taught about this plant. Because cannabis is, as the word, is the whole plant. It's the stalk. It's the, you know, it's a weed. It, it, it is a plant. And so people go, oh, you know, I want to do natural medicine, but I, I don't want to do medical cannabis. And it's like, well, th those don't jive. Those don't go together because you want this plant of lavender. You want this plant of curcumin and CBD or THC, which are cannabinoids. And we'll talk about those in a second. They come from this plant and it's natural. So what happens is coming out of the last 50 years, we've been conditioned to think cannabis is Cheech and Chong. You know, in a car, smoking a doobie, going, hey, dude, hey, man, which we can do that, but we don't have to be high to do it. In fact, what I tell our patients at Brio is that our whole goal is actually not to get you high. Now, when we do use medical cannabis for hyperthermia, it, we want to sedate you. But for the most part, we do not want to get you high. And we want to keep you off of opiates. We want to keep you off of benzodiazepines. Roughly 38 states, not roughly, exactly 38 states currently in the United States have on the books the legality of medical cannabis. So it's legal. So then the question is, I have a good friend that's a pharmacist in Tennessee, and he goes, well, why can't we get Tennessee to bring this on board? Because they just simply don't understand it. The bureaucrats, the governor, the, the legislature, they don't understand it. And they said, well, we can't have our, our people, our citizens driving around, walking around, taking medical cannabis. But they have no problem with them driving around, walking around, taking prescription opiates, taking prescription benzodiazepines. They don't have any issues with that. Taking prescription sleep aid. I actually had a patient one time. She came in. She was taking a prescription medicine for sleep. And the very first time she took it, she went to sleep and she woke up with her car having hit a tree and her driving her car. She has no idea how that happened. So the point is, these are drugs that are socially accepted, yet 
they're more dangerous than the medical use of cannabis. So what I want to do today is really kind of dispel some of the truth, if you will, de, de Cheech and Chong medical cannabis and, and focus on using this in the medical practice as a patient or as a doctor. You know, I love this quote and I love quotes because I think how other people think helps me think better, more clear. You're always a student, never a master. You have to keep moving forward. We need to all understand we're, we're learning. The more we recognize that, the more I think we can open our minds and push forward to help people and help patients. So just the other week, I was, I was looking in PubMed, which is where on a Friday and Saturday night, if I'm not with my wife out on a date, I'm just a geek, I'm going to look at PubMed. Um, it's a collection where studies will be. So I thought I'd just type in cannabinoid and see how many hits there were there. There was roughly 30,000, 33,000 hits. Hemp, 30,919. CBD, which is a cannabinoid. We'll talk about that in a second. A little bit over 10,000, exactly 10,208. THC, that is the psychoactive component of medical cannabis that you think about, that most people think about. Over 13,000. And then medical cannabis is 12,191. What's interesting is you look at these studies, what you see is kind of a hockey stick approach, a hockey stick set of data, meaning as we go through the 70s and 80s and 90s, there's really no published studies on it. But as we get into the 2000s, especially over the last 15 to 10 years or so, the number of studies on medical cannabis, especially in Europe, especially out of Israel, Spain, Italy, has just skyrocketed because we're starting to move beyond that bias, that conception, that preconceived idea that we have about what it is and recognizing the medicinal value of it. So th that right there shows some studies. And it's really interesting because medical cannabis, it's it's not new. It's, it's not new at all. I mean, it actually first recorded medicinal purpose, first prescribed uh, use of medical cannabis actually goes back to 2700 BC. Now, what therapy out there can you look at that goes back that far? But medical cannabis, cannabis in manuscript goes back that far. 1000 BC was listed as one of the sacred plants in Hindu text. So 1000 BC, we're talking over 3000 years ago. 4500 BC was recognized that cannabis seeds are used in funerals. 1000 AD, so I don't want to say modern times, but you know, post BC to AD transition, there's actually record of use of cannabis for the treatment of gout, edema, and headaches. So now start to get more modern in this kind of disease thinking. The first, uh, looking at O'Shagnessy, and if I butchered that name, I apologize, but roughly 1838 to 1843, he actually went to India to discover, to not discover, but to study how India and their culture were medically using cannabis in the variety of ways that it does. So bringing this modern times, what we started to see was that, you know, in the, in the 90s, really the 50s and 60s, really in that hockey step approach, we started to see medical cannabis and the understanding of what cannabinoids is and the endocannabinoid system what they really are and how we can use them. And in fact, the first drug, I am conventionally trained, but the first drug, the Sativex, was actually proved use in Canada in 2005. So we're talking about a relatively recent, I, I, want, I don't want to say acceptance, but uh, embracing of the medical cannabis perspective. But we're here, we're not talking about drugs. We're talking about 
the actually really naturopathic approach to the use of this therapy. You know, this is an herb. It's an annual herb. The most common form that people will hear about the genus and species is cannabis sativa. Uh, there's also a cannabis indica, and there's a third, for, third form, cannabis ruderalis. Now, hemp, people will say, well, what about hemp? Because I, I was just looking at a conference that I'm going to and speaking at, and there was a, there's a breakout session where the, the title is dealing with what the hemp, talking about hemp. And again, hemp is just a part, it's a plant that doesn't have any THC in it. That's the psychoactive component. Hemp's going to be dominant in CBD, but it's the synergy of these two compounds together that really have the powerful effects, whether we're looking at the treatment of cancer or symptoms or, or other disease states or symptoms. So, you know, we're talking about medical cannabis, not just one type of plant here, hemp, which is a shorter, excuse me, which is a taller stock plant compared to the cannabis, which is a shorter and a lot of the uh, effects come from the flower. Again, cannabis is the ref reference to the whole plant, not the individual parts. And so when we talk about the individual parts that you probably hear more about, CBD, THC, CBG, CBC, CBN, these are cannabinoids. These are the individual, if you will, from a medical term, ligands, L-I-G-A-N-D-S. These bind to the CB receptors or non-CB receptors throughout the body, and they elicit the effect that we want from these endocannabinoids. Everybody thinks endocannabinoids, they think of medical cannabis, and again, they think smoking. In the process of trying to keep people from getting high, what we're doing is we're actually trying to medicinally help them and not get them high. So we'll use transdermal creams, transdermal patches, we'll use rectal suppositories, you know, many topical ointments, edibles, or anything you put in your mouth. And then you can, you can fluctuate and adjust those ratios. So a high CBD to THC, because, you know, THC is that psychoactive component that'll get you high and sedate you. But if you couple that with a higher ratio of CBD or even a one-to-one, -one, what you'll find is that CBD counteracts that THC. And it's that synergy together, those two together, that elicits what's called an entourage effect. And the, the entourage effect, though it's, it's a little bit debated in the literature about its exact mechanism, it's really describing the active and inactive metabolites in cannabis that interact to affect the receptor potency and active constituents. Let me rephrase that. You know, Aristotle, several thousand years ago, said the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And that's exactly what the entourage effect is pointing to the whole of the plant versus the isolates work better together. And you see this in any team sport. You can have the best quarterback for football in the country, in the world, and yet you have nobody to block for him. That guy's going to have a long day and be on his back the whole time. Likewise, the best basketball player. But if nobody else is there to support him, it's going to you know fall pretty flat in terms of points. So the entourage effect is really working together to help create that, that whole, that sum, because the two together work better. Now, there's, there's an intra-entourage effect and an inner entourage effect. So the intra is synergistic interactions found between different cannabinoids. So this would be that one-to-one -one CBD, THC, and CBD is called cannabidiol. And THC. So you'll see often when if you go to a dispensary or you hear people talk about it, they'll talk about the ratio of CBD and THC. 
Understand the origin of that, which plant that's coming from, whether that's sativa or indica, also has impact. Sativa is much more stimulating, and indica is much more calming. And so that's how a, a general practice will be use more indica in the evening because it's more in the bed, indica. And the sativa is more stimulating, so that's I wouldn't really give uh, st- sativa form of medical cannabis if somebody had intense anxiety or maybe mania because that would stimulate them more. I might want to calm them down a little bit. So the intra-entourage is the uh, synergy between the different cannabinoids. And what I've not talked about is the other components of the whole plant, medical cannabis. That is the terpenes, the bioflavonoids, the sterols that all occur together. So the inter-entourage effect is the the synergistic interaction between cannabinoids and these other items, the the terpenoids and the bioflavonoids. Now, the bioflavonoids you may have heard before, these are things like quercetin, apigenin. So these are therapies in and of themselves yet they're within the plant. So that's why when, when, we, when I prescribe and utilize this, I want to really use the whole plant because there's so much more benefit there in that whole plant, of which currently we don't recognize, but we're starting to get an inclination that it really, really helps. And that's step back a little bit, and that also applies really to how we approach therapy at Brio Medical and how I approach it. It's the entourage effect. It's bringing all the forces to bear to target different chemical, biochemical, and physiologic pathways to really elicit an effect. So let's talk about this plant a little bit more and what it's broadly shown to do. It actually has great therapeutic effect against pain. That's something that we've used and are very successful using medical cannabis. We've had patients come in in wheelchairs in intense pain put them on transdermal patches of THC or CBD THC and do rectal suppositories because that route really bypasses the liver and allows us to really get that analgesic or anti-pain effect without creating that psychoactive sedation or that psychoactive high. But then we can also use high CBD to THC ratios by mouth that is edibles to really help count, to really help them through the day. And then at night we can use high indica just to help them sleep. But it also helps in neuroplasticity and neurogenic issues. It can help in opiate detoxification. Now, using it appropriately can help with depression and or, or anxiety treatment. Definitely is a very good effective treatment in insomnia. It uh, helps, it can be a pro-oxidant or an antioxidant. It, it works in excitotoxicity. It can be an appetite suppressant or stimulant. A lot of people recognize its use in nausea and vomiting definitely there. It can be an antipsychotic. I would counter that here is there are a lot of people that advocate and use high uh, RSO or Rick Simpson oil. I've seen this induce psychosis in people when they're dosing it very, very high. Uh, I've seen patients come in taking multiple thousands of milligrams of RSO twice a day and they have psychosis and you have to uh, wean them off of this. So like anything, you can take too much of a good thing. You can take in too much water and create a low sodium issue and be in the hospital. We actually had that with a patient here recently. Drank too much water, had low so- developed low sodium as a result, and ended up in the hospital. Water, which is vital for life, and yet it induced a very significant electrolyte issue. It can be immunomodulatory, anti-asthmatic, anti-inflammatory, antibacterial, neuroprotective, and even anti-cancer. So let me bring this right to the front of cancer because 
Most people are going to use medical cannabis in the treatment of nausea and vomiting, but also in the treatment of pain. And I think that's right so. So we can treat symptoms, but what if we could take a treatment that treated symptoms, but also improved treatment effects, so efficacy, but also itself had anti-cancer properties? So let's compare this to the conventional approach to pain. Opiates, morphine, fentanyl. What's interesting about these, um, there's a great review article in 2018 talking about how opioids, particularly morphine and fentanyl, suppress the immune system. Now, why is that important as it relates to cancer? Well, if you suppress the immune system, particularly we understand the mechanisms of how it does this, it suppresses natural killer cells. That is very, very advantageous to the cancer. So if you suppress natural killer cells, it's like suppressing your army. You do that in the body where cancer exists, that cancer is going to evade the army and it's going to spread. So there's actually studies that suggest it increases the metastatic, the metastatic spread of cancer, especially when you're looking at surgery. Opiates definitely suppress the immune system there and that propagates the spread of the cancer. And that's the last thing we want. Bring in then medical cannabis. Not only can we eliminate that potential of opiates causing the spread of cancer, suppressing the immune system, we can actually introduce a therapy that will control the pain. It will improve the effectiveness of other therapies, whether that be conventional, holistic, natural, or integrative, but itself has anti-cancer properties. It's a win, 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 win situation. Yet we can't have that because there's a mm, industry and so we don't want to affront that industry. But actually what we have to do as providers is we have to be in the science, follow the science, and then apply that, whether that's a natural, holistic, or integrative perspective. That's the way I approach it to help our patients. So again, we want to be, you know, we want to be accurate and precise in what we do. I want to be accurate and precise what I talk about. So the word accuracy actually comes, it actually means the conformity to the truth. So what I want to do here in being precise and accurate is actually let the evidence speak the truth in front and we will follow. So looking at CBD, CBD and THC, there's, there's particular receptors that these, these will bind to, what's called CB1 and CBD, excuse me, CB1 and CB2. And CB1 receptors are predominantly expressed in the central nervous system. They're, they're elsewhere, but that's predominantly where they're, they're expressed, mostly in the brain. Now, what's interesting about cancer is it's been said that cancer is cancer and ca is cancer, implying whatever type of origin it's from, prostate, breast, brain, you know, adrenal, liver, that cancer is all the same. Intuitively, we know a six foot six, 350 pounds sitting next to a five foot 10, so I mean, five foot two, 210 pound patient, they're not the same. Likewise, cancer is not the same. There's going to be commonalities to them, but they're not the same. In, CB, in cancer types, particularly prostate, pancreatic, colon, liver, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and astrocytomas, CB1 receptors are upregulated. In contrast, CB2 receptors can be upregulated in breasts, liver, astrocytomas, glioblastomas, and melanomas. So what this means is this means in different types of cancer, the, the concept of cancer is cancer is cancer does not apply. This does not apply. It's not the evidence because just simply looking at the expression of CB receptors, one and two, you're going to see a difference 
a, you're going to see a non-conformity, an individuality, as you will. So the CB2 type receptors, you're going to find those more expressed in the immune system rather than in the central nervous system. Now there are, that is the primary mechanism with CB1 and CB2 receptors, but there are non-CB1 and CB2 receptors. So understand there's a front door, that's the CB receptors, and there are side doors and back doors, and that's the non-CB1 and CB2 receptors. And these are things like GPR, specifically GPR55, which tends to be very expressed in breast cancer, and CBD will come and bind that and downregulate it, which is one of the mechanisms in how CBD can have anti-breast cancer effects. Now, I think this is very important to touch on at this moment, that when we're looking at the effects of CBD, THC, and other cannabinoids, the anti-tumor effects are largely dependent on the cancer types of what they're expressing in the metabolism, as well as the drug dose, the concentration, and the mixture together of these therapies. Now, that, that was essentially a quote from a study. But what it is, it's understanding the environment of, in which we're introducing and the effect in, of what we're after, so the desired effect. Now, when we look at CBD and THC, we have to recognize their context is in the endocannabinoid system. Now, what's that? The endocannabinoid system is a very critical part to overall health and well-being of the body. Not just mood, because we think of the endocannabinoid system being intimately uh, involved in neurotransmitters. So we think of the mood alterations that the medical cannabis can provide. But here, what you're talking about with endocannabinoids is what's occurring at the presynapsis and postsynaptic cleft between neurons. And so what we're talking about here is the presence of endocannabinoids, enzymes that produce endocannabinoids, enzymes that break them down, the receptors, that is the CB1 type 2, and then the non-CB1 receptors. What endocannabinoids do, there are actually endogenous endocannabinoids as there are phytocannabinoids, the phyto being those coming from plants, that is medical cannabis, and then the third is synthetic. That's what you can find in the drugs, as I mentioned, sativics. So the endocannabinoids are something that we produce. So what happens with the endocannabinoid system is the postsynaptic cleft, and this is very different. The neuron there on the end result, on the what's called the postsynaptic nerve ending, it's going to release endocannabinoids. They're going to go back to the presynaptic neuron that releases the neurotransmitters, and it, all, and it works as a dimmer switch. So these endocannabinoids come back to the presynaptic cleft and they turn down neurotransmitter release. So when you take in medical cannabis, it's coming in as a dimmer, for the most part, and affecting neurotransmitter release. And it's not just those cannabinoids, but it's how they're interacting with the terpenes and the bioflavonoids. And it's that combination that really is affecting that signaling across the nerve. And that's what we're seeing manifested in the symptoms. So when we look at, let's look at breast cancer, for example, because that is the number one cancer in the world. So let's use some examples of, and look at some examples of how the research points towards CBD and THC and its effect in cancer. So if we look at CBD and triple negative breast cancer, which by the way, is where most CBD has been researched, CBD actually works. And it's not just that we know broadly, but we understand the specifics of how it's doing it. 
It reduces cell migration. It reduces cell invasion. It reduces the metastatic spread of the cancer cells. It induces autophagy and apoptosis. Apoptosis is programmed cell death. Autophagy is kind of that spring cleaning that your body will do to get rid of abnormal cells. And then it reduces cell proliferation. But again, more than in those broads, we understand the mechanisms of how it does it. The rafmec erk pathway. What the, I mean, yes, I know. It rolls off the tongue, does it not? But doctors named this, so I can't, can't say much about that. But that's a pathway that promotes the metastatic spread. CBD is inhibiting that process. It inhibits nuclear factor kappa beta. And that is a key inflammatory signaling that gets turned on. It's actually transcription factor gets turned on and promotes inflammation. And I tell my patients, and you hear this a lot too, inflammation is the bed that cancer lies in. But cancer turns around and promotes inflammation itself. Well, what about CBD and estrogen receptor positive breast cancer? Guess what? It reduces cell survival of these cancer cells. It induces apoptosis, programmed cell death, and it reduces cell cycle progression. More so, it actually is an aromatase inhibitor. So just like melatonin, just like chrysin, just like quercetin, it's inhibiting how testosterone can be converted to estrogen and really propagate and promote breast cancer. It downregulates estrogen receptors, particularly ER-alpha. And when you hear estrogen receptor positive, that's ER-alpha. But it also upregulates a counter-regulatory estrogen receptor called ER-beta. So when you look at this natural therapy, just as you might expect, it's taking a holistic approach. And that's exactly what we want to do in the treatment of cancer holistically. We want to be precise and accurate. So very broadly, CBD has pro-apoptotic effects. It's anti-growth. It blocks cell cycle arrest, and that is how it would grow. It actually inhibits the attraction of, of immune cells to the tumor microenvironment, which the immune system can then get dysregulated and disrupted and allows the cancer to spread. It blocks cell migration and the spread of cancer, what's specifically called epithelial to mesenchymal transition. It's going to inhibit adhesion, which is how cancer cells as they're spreading and circulating through the body can adhere to a endothelial cell in a distant site and invade and form a new site. It's anti-angiogenic, that's blood vessel supply growth. It's anti-invasion, it's anti-metastatic, actually increases survival. So these are just some of the you know, broad anti-cancer effects, but more, it improves the sensitivity of cancer cells to chemotherapy, same with radiation. It actually has synergy with chemotherapy. So if you're seeing a conventional oncologist, there's no reason why you can't use CBD in conjunction with that. It's very important here you have to dose it correctly. CBD, about 10 milligrams per kilogram is where you start. It's immunomodulatory, so it's going to promote the immune system, but then it protects healthy cells against radiation effects. And I talk about this as it relates to vitamin C, this dualistic principle where vitamin C giving in pro-oxidative effects in cancer actually has destructive property effects in cancer cells. Specifically, it depletes it of energy, depletes it of NAD, depletes it of glutathione, detoxification crisis, energy crisis. But in healthy cells, does just fine, handles it just fine. So different environments, same body, different effects. CBD, medical cannabis, same dualistic principle. It can have anti-cancer effects in the cancer cells, but it can protect healthy cells against the destructive effects of radiation. Who wouldn't want those therapies? Of course, Cheech and Chong did. They didn't know that they were protecting themselves against cancer. Now, they, they may have been taking in excess 
and creating some problems there, but you get what I'm talking about. But get this, it actually inhibits cancer stem cells. That's CBD. And when you look at CBD versus THC, there's actually more science to support the anti-cancer effects of CBD than THC. Just really briefly, the anti-cancer effects of THC, it is going to inhibit pro-growth pathways. It's going to disrupt the immune system. It's going to disrupt immune infiltration. It too is going to block growth. But we have to be careful about THC because we also know that there are speculation, there is literature that supports it could actually promote growth of cancer. It could be pro-growth, pro-proliferative. It could uh, really disrupt the immune system and the ability of the immune system to kill cancer cells. So when we look at medical cannabis, we do have to take a very scientific viewpoint of it. We have to know the science. We can't just broadly recommend CBD or THC or a combination thereof. We have to recognize the individual, the cancer type, what the literature says about the expression of the receptors, how they tend to respond based on literature, and bring those forces and that knowledge to bear to then devise a program with medical cannabis to actually help get the results we want. Yes, we can target symptoms, but we can target the cancer at the same time if we bring that knowledge to bear. And then the terpenes and the bioflavonoids, we haven't even touched about those, but those have broad anti-cancer properties as well. And so that's where that entourage effect comes to bear. We bring all of these constituents together in the whole plant, and that gives us the ability to get that powerful anti-cancer and anti-symptom effect that we're after with medical cannabis. And again, talked about that, the camphorol, the apigenin, uh, the quercetin, these are these are bioflavonoids. Now, the terpenes, you probably haven't heard much of these before, but um, my, uh, mycine, panea, I mean, just these are just different chemical components, but they're affecting broadly the anti-cancer approach. So, for example, looking at uh, terpenes, it's going to um, increase radiosensitivity. It's going to inhibit angiogenesis. It's going to reduce tumor growth. It's going to increase survival. Is that not what it's all about? So, what we're looking at is a powerful therapy that's been around for thousands and thousands of years, medical cannabis, one that's been tried to be discredited, regulated, but it's making a comeback. It's not making a Cheech and Chong comeback. It's making an effective evidence-based therapeutic comeback. And so as we move into the next decade, what I think you're going to see is the more integrative and more evidence-based utilization of medical cannabis in not just holistic, natural, and integrated practices, but hopefully very soon into the conventional world. Because there we can remove therapies that are harming the body, not helping the body. Again, you can use any therapy to a detriment. So that's why it's so important to understand the physiology, the pharmacokinetics, the pharmacodynamics of how medical cannabis works together to target cancer, control the symptoms, and work with other therapies. That's the power of medical cannabis. Always remember, use the whole plant versus the isolates. That's very important. Here's a quote from a study. Isolated cannabinoids such as THC or CBD, that's cannabidiol, cannabidiol alone are less effective than more complex combination of cannabinoids such as those found in plant 
extracts. So again, it's the application of combination anti-cancer therapies being far more advantageous together than single agent therapies. Just like a naturopath working with a medical doctor, like we do here at Brio Medical, it's bringing that synergy together, that really that combination that provides the best anti-cancer footing moving forward. And I love this quote, so I'll just kind of wrap it up with this. Walt Disney said, we must keep moving forward, opening new doors, doing new things because we are curious and curiosity keeps leading us down new paths. One of the things, unfortunately, the last couple of years that's been really hit is that curiosity that medicine should have. You know, curiosity of a cat, they always say that's a bad thing, but here, a curiosity of a doctor is what's needed because that curiosity, it's not just gonna open new doors, it's gonna break down walls. It's gonna break down barriers to incorporate new ideas. And out of that new understanding, new knowledge is gonna come and that's gonna help patients get better. Our goal as a physician is to heal. That's what the word means. If we just get you know, surrounded by barriers that keep us from thinking, we will never achieve that. And no more is this present in medical cannabis. Not hemp, but medical cannabis. That's the evidence. It's not controversial, it's the science. If it's controversial, the science is controversial, but that's what it is. So, you know, the future of medical cannabis is gonna be the integration of it with other therapies, just like we do at Brio Medical. The integration of photodynamic therapy and IPT with CBD. That's the future, that's the science. Some studies out of uh, late uh, 2019, 2021, 2021 and 2022, show how the integration of CBD with other therapies actually provides a broader, more specific anti-cancer effect and limits the metastatic spread of cancer. See, it's the details, the small details that individually they don't amount to much, just little things, but it's the collection and the sequence of these details together that leads to the big things, that leads to the great things that we're after for our patients with cancer or other diseases. It's healing. It's those details that we bring together and that's the science that brings together for that. So when you look at some more modern pictures of Cheech and Chong, you actually see a change in them. They're not those doobie smoking dudes behind the you know, dash of a car, but they're normal people. So if they could change persona perception, maybe we can let the evidence change our thought and how we approach medical cannabis. Not be afraid of using that phrase because the evidence supports it. Remember, we are always students, never a master. We must understand this to keep moving forward. And nowhere does this apply more than to medical cannabis. So I hope this has been helpful in helping to understand that. The job of a physician, of a doctor, and the job of this podcast is to help patients hope again. Hope for the impossible, think the impossible, believe the impossible, and achieve the impossible. It is to make the impossible possible. That is a patient's bold mission. That's what we need as practitioners to embrace. Please share this podcast with anyone and everyone you know affected by cancer 
any other named disease or simply seeking to restore their healing and wellness. There is always hope when, when there are teachers that heal. We are teachers that heal. To your health and wellness, and until next time, I am Dr. Nathan Goodyear, and this is the Practicing with Dr. Nathan Goodyear podcast. Thanks for listening. For more information, just like what we discussed today, I encourage you to follow us on YouTube, as well as all of your favorite audio streaming platforms. And in there, we'll talk about all things related to healing, wellness, cancer, and much, much beyond, because it doesn't just apply to cancer. Our goal here is to turn to healing, restore health, and promote your wellness, whether that greatest obstacle to wellness being cancer or any other named disease. Our goal is your wellness. I'm Dr. Nathan Goodyear, and enjoy our future podcast at Practicing with Dr. Goodyear.